Hey guys, welcome to the Doula Diaries. I'm Heidi. I'm the host of the Birth Story Podcast, which drops birth story episodes and expert interviews every Thursday. I'm also the author of the Birth Story Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal. It is everything, 529 pages of everything that you need to know to prepare for your birth. You can get that at birthstory.com. And I am also the content creator for Birth Story Academy, where you go for online learning from a virtual doula. You can also get into my private Facebook community through Birth Story Academy. And here on Tuesdays is where we meet for doula diaries. So welcome. Hey guys, just here to talk to you about Birth Story Academy. Are you one of the 98% of birthing people planning to birth in a hospital and you have no idea what you want and what the hospital's protocols and procedures are, how to navigate them and how to advocate for yourself? We often think about, do we want an unmedicated birth or a medicated birth? But there's so much more to it. What about a cesarean section? What about a wait and see attitude? So if you are one of the 80% of people hoping to birth without an epidural, but know that 60 to 90% of the United States population actually births with an epidural, and in that statistic, in 35% of all birthing persons have a cesarean section, whether it's planned or unplanned, that is why I built Birth Story Academy. Birth Story Academy is premier childbirth education for getting you prepped to birth in a hospital. You have over 50 decisions to make when you are in prodromal labor, early first stage, late first stage, hard labor, transition, pushing the third stage of labor. As a doula for over 17 years, I have witnessed every minute of labor from the earliest twinges and feelings through every single stage of labor, through transition, through delivery, and into the postpartum period with my clients. In Birth Story Academy, we break down every stage of labor. If you join Birth Story Academy and come on a journey with me, I become your virtual doula, and I help you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So if you're hoping for that unmedicated birth, I'm going to help you with those plans. If your journey takes a different path, we have plans for that too. You will feel educated and empowered whether you have spontaneous labor or an induction or a planned or unplanned cesarean, regardless of what you are desiring for medicated or unmedicated or a wait and see attitude. This course walks you through everything you need to know to prepare and to navigate hospital policies and procedures and to create birth plans that advocate for you. So let's do this. Year after year, 71% of my clients go unmedicated, 25% are induced, and a small 7% or less have a planned or unplanned cesarean section. That's the experience that built Birth Story Academy that's going to help you too. So let's do this. Head over to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey guys, I recently went disc golfing with my youngest son, Jagger, who as I record this is six years old. So that means four years ago, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy from a birth injury. 
And I wanted to come to you with my story because I can't go backwards. So if you haven't listened to episode 88, where I talked to CEO Catherine Cross from Anja Health about cord blood and tissue banking. You see, her brother had cerebral palsy too. And we really bonded about how her brother and my child, their lives could be completely different if they had access to stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking. When I was pregnant with Jagger, it was a simple question in a brochure like, hey, do you want to do public or private cord blood banking? And no one explained it to me. As I watched Jagger play disc golf and switch from his right hand to his left hand, and watched him kind of limp through the course, I thought I would have paid any amount of money to have had the opportunity to have my child have a stem cell transplant from cord blood that I had saved from his birth. $35 a month, and I may not be watching my kid have to switch arms on the disc golf course. So I hope you will go to AnjaHealth.com and consider cord blood and tissue banking because we just don't know. This is policy that you have to decide on in advance, and we can't work backwards. If there's a birth injury, if your child has leukemia, or any of the other 85 diseases that are FDA approved, that stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking can help dramatically save or change your child's life. All right, let's talk about epidurals. Do you love them? Do you hate them? Like, how do you feel about it? Are you planning an epidural? Are you planning to have an unmedicated birth? Or are you planning to have a wait and see attitude? I was absolutely planning an unmedicated birth with my first child, Max. That was until I went into prodromal labor for five days and hadn't slept went to 43 weeks gestation with my almost 11 pound baby. And then this ginormous baby was sitting on a nerve on my right hand side. And about 40 hours into labor, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I needed an epidural as a tool to continue on rather than have a C-section so I could have a chance for a vaginal birth. Again, with an almost 11 pound baby at 43 weeks gestation. You guys, I'm five foot three. This was a big baby. Let me share some statistics with you. In the United States, 35% of birthing persons in the United States have a planned or unplanned cesarean section. So 100% of those individuals have some type of anesthesia, be it epidural anesthesia, spinal anesthesia, or general anesthesia. And if you look at the other 65% of birthing persons in the United States who have a vaginal birth, 80% of those are hoping to birth in a hospital without an epidural. But 60 to 90%, depending on the state, of all birthing persons actually get an epidural. So a lot of you are hoping and wanting and training for an unmedicated birth, 80%. But then 80% of you are actually having an epidural. So we need to talk about it. And a lot of the times it's stories like mine, right? We don't know what we don't know what we don't know. The one thing I do know is that whatever you're planning for, for your birth, 
Rarely does birth go according to plan. But what we can do is be prepared and empowered and have a birth plan that advocates for you and we can be ready. So if you want to have an unmedicated birth, we've got to train for that, right? But today I want to talk to you a little bit about that epidural procedure because a lot of you are going to have an epidural whether you want to have one or not, whether you planned for it or not. Often it is a tool that helps birthing persons still achieve a vaginal birth. So let me tell you what this looks like. My clients, 71% of my clients, by the way, have an unmedicated birth. The other individuals, 29% that use an epidural, it's typically for exhaustion. So they're so tired. They've been in prodromal labor. They've had a long labor. The surges or contractions are coming every one to two minutes and they are so tired. It's not that they're not strong enough. It's not that they can't do it. They don't want to do it anymore. They are over it. They want to take a nap. So what does that look like? It looks like calling your nurse, calling anesthesia, but first it requires an IV port to go into your arm. And in that IV port, they are going to put IV fluid. So vasodilation versus vasoconstriction, bolusing your body in 30 minutes with a lot of a whole entire bag or two of IV fluid can help prevent your blood pressure from dropping. So what happens with the epidural is when it goes in, the medications that are in the epidural, fentanyl is the most commonly used medication in uh, epidural anesthesia, it can significantly drop your blood pressure. So a protocol to help that from happening is to front load you with a lot of fluids. So if you've been laboring at home for a really long time and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go to the hospital and you go to triage and you're like, thank you, I would like my epidural. It could be three hours, okay? So we better have some coping mechanisms like have a doula, your partner know how to do double hip squeezes, get out of the bed, stand up, sway, do some squats, move your body, walk the hallways, and get that IV fluid started. So get the IV fluid started as soon as possible when you start thinking about thinking about an epidural. Because my clients whose birth plans say no epidural, right? And then all of a sudden they change their mind and they want an epidural. They want it right now. And I have to hold them and say, it is impossible to get you an epidural right now. Now that we have had a change of plans on our birth preferences, we have to get an IV port in your arm. We have to start IV fluids. And then we have to wait in line for the anesthesiologist to have time to come to your room. So if you're a planned epidural, then I recommend having that IV port in your arm and triage so that you can start fluids a little bit sooner and that you could call anesthesia a little bit sooner. So when you start thinking about thinking about an epidural, start talking to your nurse about an epidural and just know it could be one to three hours depending on how busy the hospital is. So the epidural procedure itself is pretty fast. 
Um, I don't have any memory of it hurting. Some anesthesiologists do it laying down, but most anesthesiologists are taught to do it with you leaning over and hunched over. So kind of like your lower back is sticking up like a cat. That's like, you know, that lower back, like that cat that's really kind of excited or scared and they hunch their back. So I have my clients typically grab a pillow and pull their shoulders in and push out that lower part of their back and kind of curl around. Well, guess what? A contraction's going to now hit as soon as you get in position. So your legs are kind of hanging off the bed. You're curled over. Your doula or your birth partner or your nurse is standing in front of you and kind of holding you and coaching you through breath. And the anesthesiologist will do their best to work in between those contractions, okay? However, sometimes you just have to be as still as possible. They are going into your epidural space around your spine. Do everything in your power to not move, okay? The most that my clients typically feel and that I felt is was like a little bee sting. So when that first, um, it's like a little pinch and a little sting when the needle first goes in and then they give you um, a test dose. After that, it's pretty simple because the actual epidural is placed with a thread. So it's like this little epidural thread. It's so little, it's so soft, like it's, and it gets taped to your back, okay? Oh, I forgot. They're also going to like kind of wash your back with betadine. So make sure you let them know if you have a shellfish allergy, but um, you get washed with betadine. It's a sterile field. Everyone's wearing a mask that's facing the sterile field and the anesthesiologist gets to work. Once they, I don't know how to explain this, but they will kind of say, do you feel this more on your left side or your right side while you're sitting there in the bed? And they can kind of wiggle that thread to get it in the perfect space because you want the epidural to be even on both sides, okay? So it's really important to communicate with your anesthesiologist in between your contractions on kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but you can, sometimes you'll feel like a zing, zing, like a going down one side of the leg or something. And you need to tell them that so that they can make it more even, okay? Once it's all set up and your test dose is good, it gets taped down on your back and um, your blood pressure cuff's gonna go off about every five minutes because again, they're gonna keep giving you IV fluid and making sure that you don't have a blood pressure drop because that the babies don't like it when your blood pressure drops and um, make sure that you feel okay. There's no ringing in your ears. Nausea would be a little bit normal. Shaking would be normal, like these labor shakes after an epidural. Um, Some people get a rush of energy and they're like, okay, I'm ready to get this baby out of me. And then others just get zonked out and just fall right asleep because again, the exhaustion and they're so tired. So for about 20 minutes, you will then lay flat on your back while you wait for the epidural to like air quotes set up. And that's if we you were to roll over to your right side, immediately you'd be just completely numb on your right side and not numb on your left side. Well, nobody wants to have half moon contractions, right? Like where half of your belly is contracting and you feel it and the other half isn't. That's what's the point of the epidural. So you're going to lay flat for about 20 to 30 minutes while we make sure that your blood pressure, we, I'm not a doctor, while your healthcare providers make sure that your blood pressure is stable and that you're feeling good and that you're getting numb on both sides. Once it's all set up, then 
we get to work. Okay. So I tell my doula clients, listen, if it's three o'clock in the morning and you need to take a nap because you've been laboring for 18 hours, great. Take a nap. I live four minutes from the hospital. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap. You take a nap. And when you are ready to get to work and move your body, I'm going to come back and we'll get to work and move your body. Same thing if you don't have a doula, take your nap. But when you're ready to get to work, call for your nurse, call for your birth partner and study labor positions. Okay, this is so important. You are going to see me flooding your Pinterest, flooding your Instagram, flooding your TikTok with labor positions. I just flew up to Louisville, Kentucky to meet with my best friend, Amy, who's an incredible, she was actually voted best family photographer of Louisville, Kentucky. So when I say incredible photographer, like ace photography with Bluegrass Bebe Photography, and I'll link to it in the show notes. She is the woman on the cover of the Birth Story Pregnancy and Guidebook. She is the one who birthed her baby in the car, her VBAC. Third baby came in the car. Um, She's been on the podcast. She wrote the intro, and she took a lot of photos of me being a doula, um, of one of our friends being a doula, and we had a casting call and had two models that came and demonstrated lots of different labor positions. These are positions that you can do with an epidural. There is so much. Please do not get an epidural and lay flat on your back, okay? Let me say that again. Please do not get an epidural and lay flat on your back or lay on your side with your legs closed. If I could demonstrate with you right now your pelvis, you would be literally like crunching your tailbone in and then pushing the bottom part of your pelvis in on your side and reducing the pelvic inlet and outlet by 30%. But if we use the stirrup for exaggerated sideline opening, the peanut ball, you use the squat bar, those hospital beds are like transformers. One leg, sit all the way up and put one leg up over a peanut ball. Put the other leg up over a peanut ball. Lay on your side and use the peanut ball. Lay on your side exaggerated, almost like you're on your belly, and put your um, high leg up in a stirrup. Rotate every 15 to 30 minutes. Pretend, even though you have an epidural, pretend that you don't have an epidural, right? Start to notice when you're having those contractions, you should still feel pressure, not pain and start to notice when you're feeling those things and move, move your body. This is where doulas are critical for clients once they get an epidural, if they want to reduce their chances of having a cesarean section. My cesarean rate over 17 years is less than 7%. That means you have a 78% relative risk reduction of having a cesarean by hiring me. I hope that that might translate to by listening to me on the podcast or by reading my book or by taking my course on Birth Story Academy. But it's really important to get your body moving when you have an epidural. It's also so important to labor down. So your provider may come and check on you and tell you at some point when you're feeling rectal pressure, again, pressure, not pain, that you're 10 centimeters dilated if you consent to a vaginal exam. Well, 10 centimeters dilated means absolutely nothing to me as your doula in birth pushing world, right? If you were unmedicated, again, we're trying to mimic unmedicated even with an epidural, you wouldn't have the fetal ejection reflex until you were probably 10, but the baby's station plus two, 
very, very, very low. So if you're 10 and zero, I want you to do something called labor down. Okay, keep moving your body, keep resting, keep going side, side, hands and knees. Yes, you can get on your hands and knees with an epidural. Get on those hands and knees. Squat with your epidural in the bed. Squat with the squat bar, okay? And let your baby come down with those contractions. And when you cannot go on anymore, when the pressure is so overwhelming, and hopefully you're 10 plus 2, 10 plus three, then push. Then push your baby up under your pubic bone. Let your baby stretch your perineum and then slowly birth and breathe your baby out, even with an epidural. So I told you my story on exhaustion, pure exhaustion, pure ginormous baby, pure sitting on a nerve and why I opted for an epidural, even though I'm a doula and I really, really didn't want an epidural, right? I fell into that statistic of 80% of people who are hoping to birth without an epidural, but then 80% who ended up actually having an epidural. Go figure, right? But I was prepared and I had planned for all of the things, even the things that I didn't think were going to happen. I don't believe that I have any clients that have ever regretted their epidural, right? They made empowering, informed decisions to choose an epidural at the point in which they needed rest. Now, I did say 71% of my clients are unmedicated. So probably 100% of those 71% ask for an epidural or ask for help at some point during their labor, But if you have a birth team that knows you want an unmedicated birth, trust me, we'll push you really hard through your hard labor and through your transition, especially with that surrender. But sometimes surrendering looks like getting an epidural to help you achieve a vaginal birth. So the last two things I want to tell you about getting an epidural are your epidural button and that 15% of the time an epidural only takes on one side and has to be replaced. If you get an epidural and you are not completely pain-free, but just feeling pressure, there is a little button on the side of your bed called an epidural button. So make sure your birth partner, your doula, of course, knows about it, but make sure your birth partner knows about it if you don't have a doula. And you can push this button as often as you want because it won't let you overdose yourself. But it gives you an extra bolus of epidural anesthesia. So let's say you're feeling very numb on your left side, but not that numb on your right side. You can roll over to your right side and push your epidural button and get more epidural anesthesia on the right side because it works with gravity. So then hopefully you're feeling numb on both sides, okay? If you get to the pushing stage and you're feeling more than you would like to feel, hit your button. If you had a perineal tear or a labial tear or a clitoris tear or a urethra tear or all the types of tearing that you can get, a sulcus tear, and you're feeling any of the stitches or you're feeling more than you want to feel, push your epidural button. Okay? Your epidural button can always deliver more medication to you if you need it. So that's always step one. So now let's say you push your epidural button a couple of times and you're just not getting relief, right? 
it's you're appearing to your birthing team that it's like you never got the epidural. Like technically you have an epidural, but it's just not working. We hear this all the time. I got an epidural and it just didn't work. Well, that's because 15% of the time it needs to be replaced. So this is where advocacy comes in, okay? If you were comfortable and the epidural button has been pushed several times and you are feeling pain, not just pressure, call for help. Please ask the anesthesiologist to come back. That is their job. They are happy to help you. Okay, so for you and your birth partner, I want you to know about the epidural procedure, the epidural button, and asking to have your epidural replaced. Sometimes they just have to like wiggle it a little bit. Sometimes they have to fully replace it. Sometimes they just have to give you a big extra bolus that's more than your epidural button can give you. And you have options. So this is why it's so critical to have a doula to help you navigate all of these conversations. But even if you don't have a doula, make sure that your birth partner listens to this episode and knows how to advocate for you. If you planned for an epidural or if you don't, even if you're not planning on an epidural, just in case. And if you want more tips, just enroll in Birth Story Academy and I'll prepare you and your birth partner for all of it in 20 short modules that you can take at your leisure. All right, what other questions do you have about epidurals? Feel free to DM me on Instagram at Birth Story Podcast, and I will do some stories answering your questions about epidurals. Don't forget, I'm here to help be your virtual doula and help you prepare and plan for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. With 17 years of experience as a veteran birth doula, witnessing every stage of labor and every minute of labor for my clients from the earliest beginning twinges all the way through meeting their babies. I am here to walk you through the hospital policies and procedures and navigate the twists and turns. Whether you are hoping for an unmedicated birth, a medicated birth, to have an induction, an unplanned induction, or a planned or unplanned cesarean, Birth Story Academy helps you prepare for all of it. I can't wait to see you in class. Remember, head to birthstory.com to enroll in Birth Story Academy so I know you got to class from the podcast and enjoy 50% off using code Birth Story Podcast. Thanks for listening to Doula Diaries. Before you go, don't forget to check out Anja Health at anjahealth.com, A-N-J-A health.com, and really look into cord blood and tissue banking. As a parent of a child with cerebral palsy, I know how potent and powerful stem cell transplants can be. And I don't have the opportunity to do that for my child. So I ask you, as you're planning and preparing for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like, that you will consider cord blood and tissue banking because we just don't know how our birth is going to go or if our children are going to get childhood leukemia cancer, heart disease, liver disease, diabetes, cord, blood, and tissue banking is the future of science. I am so excited to see in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, how our children might be able to use their cord, blood, and tissue stem cells in order to heal their adult bodies. Isn't that so cool to think about? All right, anjahealth.com. Use code birthstory for $100 off. There is also a special link in the show notes to help you get there.
Thank you for letting me share about Anja and Doula Diaries. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode.